As I made in my announcements last week, this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, which means that it launched the season of Lent. Season of Lent is the 40 days minus the Sundays between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And throughout history, that has been an important time for the church to truly once again focus on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and to recenter our lives around the meaning of that sacrifice as we commit ourselves again to him to respond appropriately. Now, pastorally, as we think about, well, what do we focus on to help us do our attention around those themes? Uh, there's a couple of options that are always available. We could talk about the prophetic expectations and the need for the sacrifice of Jesus as explained in the Old Testament, somewhat like we did last year in looking at the feast and the festivals and how Jesus fulfilled them in his sacrifice. You could also look at how or, or what Jesus did in offering that sacrifice Somewhat what we just did in the end of John, walking through the events of his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. You could also look at the theological significance of all of that and talk about themes of atonement and justification and the righteousness we have in Christ as spelled out in many of the epistles. Or, as I hope to do this year, we could talk about and focus on the practical implications of how we respond to his sacrifice. Having just looked at what Jesus has done and, and finishing up the gospel of John in that resurrection of Jesus, the question that remains is how do we respond in gratitude for what has been done for us? If John said that all of those things that he wrote were written so that you might believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name, the question is, what should that life in his name look like? And those are the kinds of questions that we'll be trying to answer through this sermon series in Lent. And to help launch that and introduce that this morning, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, where we will be looking at the first eight verses. The words will be on the screen behind me, uh, but I encourage many of you to pull out your pew Bibles and turn to page 1126 and follow along, keeping them open as I'll refer back to many of the passages as we work our way through it this morning. Again, in your pew Bibles, 1126, the epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, the first eight verses. Here we read. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, 
and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned in our setup, we have seen what Christ has done, and now we are asking, well, what difference does that make? And the reason why I chose this text to kind of frame the sermon series that we're about to enter into is because it asks that very same question. The book of Romans deals with a lot, as I said, of the theological implications of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, especially in the first 11 chapters of that epistle. From the very beginning of the book, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that who God is and what he wants from us should have been and is abundantly clear in his creation and also in his law. But... We as creatures have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And instead of submitting ourselves to God as we should have, we have lived for our own desires, which is the fundamental problem as spelled out succinctly in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. With that being the problem, Paul goes on to explain the solution. How our failure, our unrighteousness was met in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That God sent his son to this earth to live that perfect life and to offer himself as a sacrifice in order to pay for the wrath of God that we had earned for ourselves and then to set us free. That message being summarized in the words of Romans 6.23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm sorry, that was Romans 3.23. But for 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. He then goes on to spell out the implications of that. How we have been set free from bondage to the sin and given the Holy Spirit to allow us to live in obedience to that law. How God's divine will for the Israelites and for Gentiles has governed all of this. But then... Having laid out all of that truth and spelled out the implications for what Jesus did in the first 11 chapters of the book, everyone recognizes that there's a transition from the end of chapter 11 into Romans chapter 12, where Paul takes all of that theological truth and he boils it down and he asks the question, what difference does all of this make in the way that we are called to live our lives? What do we do with all of that information. As one commentator put it, oftentimes when we think of Romans, we think of it as a theological book. However, it is a very practical theological book. The gospel is not an idea to be thought about. 
The gospel is a way of life to be lived. And that's what's seen in our text. Having previously described all of the mercies of God in the leading up chapters, he starts in verse 1 by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Already, there's a whole lot there, so let's dig into some of that. Let's start by identifying the clear command of the text to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when we hear that word sacrifice, oftentimes we right away run to our modern English definitions of what sacrifice means, something along the lines of giving something up that is important to us for the sake of something else. So as we just did in the collection of offering, we have sacrificed some of our funds in order to support causes that we believe in. Or in our homes, we think about how parents often are called to sacrifice our own desires for rest and relaxation or what we want to do with our time in order to serve our families. But... When we think about sacrifice in the context of Scripture, we have to not think of what we would initially start with, even though that's all part of what is, the, is in this text, but what would they have heard and what, the, what did they have thought of? And as one commentator suggested, when we think about religion and what it is, oftentimes we think about religion as a set of ideas to either be agreed with or disagreed with. They are, there are thoughts and concepts, more of a, a philosophy when we think about religion. But people in, action, in ancient times, instead they would have thought of religion as sacrifice. What are the things that you are asked to give up in order to make the God or gods that you serve happy? and to be appeased, to make sure that they know that you are living in submission to them. And so what are you going to give to those gods in order to surrender to them and in order to appease them? And those are some of the ideas that are, are back behind Vic's text. However, even in recognizing that, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus in his death and in his resurrection has paid the once and for all sacrifice needed for our sins. And in light of that, we no longer have to sacrifice animals or things in order to have a right relationship with God, in order to maintain his pleasure with us. Instead, we approach him through the grace of Christ. But despite that, Paul still picks up on the sacrificial language, suggesting that instead of just killing animals as a sacrifice, we should look at ourselves as our bodies, as the sacrifice that we are invited to give back to God in response for what he has first sacrificed for us. And instead of dying for him, we are called to live for him. If what Jesus has given to us is a new meaning in life, a new purpose for our lives, a continuing of our life, how do we take that life and offer it back 
to him. And it is explained in our text. It says that our bodies are to be offered holy and acceptable to God. When talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system, it wasn't a sacrifice if what you were offering to God was your lame, your diseased, your already near death's door animal. Those types of sacrifices were rejected because they weren't sacrifice. The sacrifice you were called to give was one that was pure, one that was perfect. Well, it's the same way with us. Having been cleansed by Jesus, the life that we are called to offer back is one that is holy, set apart, and purified. And the theological idea is that since we have been purified by Christ, what he did was to purchase us by his blood we now, as I said, have a whole new life in him. We are dead to our sins, and therefore the life we have been given is what we are asked to offer back to him. And so we are to use that life to serve him. It's the same idea that Paul expresses in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 when he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And that language is also the very same language that I've already been hinting at as expressed in the Heidelberg Catechism when it asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And it reminds us that our only comfort is that I'm not my own, but that I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So the idea is that we have been purchased by God through the sacrifice of Christ, and therefore we belong to him, and that should call us to change the way that we think about and live our lives. And that ongoing sacrifice of ourselves is our spiritual worship. So often in our modern world, we think oh, that worship is what we do here. For about an hour on Sunday morning and then for some of us for an hour in the evening on Sunday. But then we go and live the rest of our lives. But this text reminds us that worship is not limited to that. In fact, our call to worship God is a call to do life differently for the rest of our hours when we aren't in this building. That that is where we truly offer our lives in service to God. So what does that look like? And that's where he goes on to verse, chapter, verse number two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what we're being called to give up is our conformity to the world. When we live in sin, we live according to our own selfish desires. And our greatest priority is to ask that question, well, how do we blend in with everybody else? And oftentimes, that's how we prioritize our desires in this world. 
We prioritize you know, finances in a way that we pursue comfort through finances just like everybody else does. We do things and make decisions based on the fact, well, how are we going to blend in? How are we not going to stand out? How are we not going to earn ridicule from others in this world? But we are being called to sacrifice those desires and the greater call to live not for ourselves, but to now live for Christ. If he has given his all for us, what do we have? What could he ask of us where we would say, nope, that's too much. You're asking far too much of me to give up, especially in light of what he did for us. And this transformation happens from giving up the conformity of this world through the renewal of our mind. That's not something that happens instantaneous. It's not something that goes from one day to the next. It's a process where we are constantly having to remind ourselves of who we are, to get into God's word, to see what it tells us about who we were in our sin. And what that sin had earned and the great gift of Jesus Christ and how much his grace means to us. And as we study that word and get into it more and more, our minds are transformed and we have a better understanding of what it is that God is asking from us in his will. What is perfect and pleasing to him and how are we to live our lives? There are many times where we're going to feel like that's a sacrifice. When our sinful nature wants to go along with our worldly friends and, and wants to pursue pleasures in a way that we know is against God's command, but we are going to be called to give that up instead. In light of who we are in Christ, we are able to and called to no longer live for the desires of ourselves and for our glory, but for his and again, that's where Paul goes on next. He says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. One research, resource that I read in preparation for this made reference to a 2004 study where it asked 829,000 high school seniors that were going into college to rate themselves on, how, uh, on their own ability to get along with others. So the question was posed, how well do you get along with others? And, and put yourself in a scale. Are you in the, the bottom 10%? Are you in the bottom 50%? Are you right about average? Or are you in the top? And what that survey found from those 829,000 high school students was that a whole 60% of them that answered that survey put themselves in the top 10% of their ability to get along with others which obviously is statistically impossible, but the illustration being made is that's often how we think about ourselves. We think that we are better than most everybody else in a lot of areas in life, that we have our lives put together more than others, and so we think of ourselves highly, more highly than we should. We have a, a cognitive bias about ourselves. And when that gets into the church, 
When we think we're better than others at other things, then that can cause all kinds of problems. Now, as soon as I identify that as one issue, we also have to identify the corollary issue, which oftentimes can happen to each one of us at the same time. Those that have a disproportionate low self-esteem, who look at other people and think, everybody is better at everything than I am, and I don't have anything to give to this life or to offer. But the hope of the gospel fixes both of those issues. To the person with low self-esteem, it says, no, I have given you gifts. I have created you unique. You have talents and abilities that nobody else has. And so use those in order to build my kingdom. And to the person who thinks of themselves more highly than they off, it reminds them that apart from Christ, we are and we have nothing to offer. And therefore, we are humbled in the fact that we, too, needed to be saved because of our sins. And to both, it says, look at who you are. And instead of thinking how you can use those things to glorify and honor yourself, use those things to build up my kingdom. And that's where Paul enters into this analogy that he uses in other contexts, like 1 Corinthians 12, where he analogizes the body of Christ, the church, to a physical body, saying that just like our bodies have all different organs, eyes and feet and livers and stomachs that all do very different things, each one of us, each one of you is an important part of the body of Christ. And where one person may be gifted in one area, another person is gifted in a different area, but all of us are needed to come together and offer what we have in service, not to ourselves again, but to the kingdom of Christ. And in essence, that's the call. God in Christ has changed you. He has given you a whole new life. Therefore, live that life. Sacrifice your desires to be pleasing to the world and give of yourself in order to build my kingdom. But what does that look like and how do we do that? And that's where we're going to head with this sermon series. We're going to look collectively at the things that all of us are invited to sacrifice, the parts of ourselves that we are able to and asked to give up living for the world and offer back to Christ, one part of our body at a time. But for this week and for this text, I would encourage you to ask a, a couple of questions of reflection. First of all, what are the areas of your life where you continue to strive to conform to the patterns of this world? What are the sins where you haven't been willing to truly examine and quite yet give up? And where are you prone to go along with the crowd rather than go along with the word of God? Examine those things and think about what God is calling for in light of those things. Second, how can you engage more intentionally in the practices of renewing your mind? If that is the path toward a proper understanding of ourselves and God's will for our lives, how do we ensure that we know what his will is? And what are the things that we are called to and do engage in so that we know that and so our minds 
which so often are easily absorbed and constantly pounded with the desires of this world and what conformity to this world look like, how do we cleanse those things and focus instead on God's desire for our lives? And then finally, what is my role in the place of this body? Not only in the local church here in Escalon, but in the body of Christ generally. What gifts and talents and, and unique traits of God had given to me where I am being called to offer back my time, my finances, my talents, so that God's kingdom could be served and the body of fellow believers be supported and built up for the greater goal that all people would understand of their need for a savior. For the message of the hope of the gospel to go forward to all the world so that more and more might be invited to come and know that Jesus Christ died for them and is inviting them into a new relationship with him. Well, toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do think about our desires to conform to this world. And how often we fill those desires and have those desires fed in the, the time spent online, in the movies and, and music that we watch and listen to, and the surrounding ourselves with our friends and community. Lord, I pray that we would be discerning and wise in how we live the lives that you have given to us. I pray for transformation and renewal of our minds. I pray that as we hear your word proclaim on Sunday and as we go home and, and open up that word by ourselves, as we submit ourselves to the teaching and devotionals and, and in worship that continues beyond these walls, I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts and our minds. I also pray that we would find our place in this community and in your church that we would be constantly thinking about the many gifts you have given to us and be asking how we can take those and offer them back to you. But all of that desire is because of what you first have done for us. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you offered, how you willingly went to that cross and you gave everything of who you were in order that we might have that new life in order that we might know forgiveness and peace in your presence. Thank you for those gifts. We say that in word. We sing of it in song. And now our prayer is that we would go and show our gratitude in the way that we live our lives. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.